It's the Get Off My Lawn podcast for the week of October 1st, 2017. On tonight's program, you'll hear from the Straight Meets Gay Gang, the Philosodorks, and film critic Tim Brennan. I'm your announcer, Craig, and here's your genial host, Kevin. Thank you, Craig, and happy October to you, one and all. This is Kevin, your genial host, and welcome to yet another exciting, action-packed, thrilling, non-stop, well, it'll stop eventually, edition of the Get Off My Lawn podcast, except no imitations. <laughs> so, here's the deal, and it's there's always a deal. There's always something going on here, here on the show that, you know, there's always something. Uh... A couple weeks back, I, I, I took a little break, and the break was to try to get some stuff taken care of. Uh, you know, I've, I've been working long hours, and I've been doing other things, and things have been getting... Uh, well, things have been falling behind, uh, not just on the show, but other places as well. This, uh, you, you know what a personal life is? I, I don't. I've heard it's really exciting, but uh, I, I've been trying to work on some stuff, you know, personal stuff, professional stuff. I've been working on stuff, trying to work on stuff. Uh, things keep getting in the way. And, and one of the things that, that popped up these last couple of weeks while we were on hiatus, while we were taking a little, little, little break, uh, there's another Get Off My Lawn podcast. I, I know. I know. So a couple of years back, when I decided to start this up, I was thinking of different show titles and trying to think of something goofy and memorable and whatever else. And as I would think of these show titles, I, I would Google them and I would check out the, the podcast section of the iTunes store, etc. And sure enough, back in, I think it was 2011 or 2012, there was a Get Off My Lawn podcast, uh, but it hadn't operated in several years. And I reached out, and not no word back from the people who were doing it. It just wasn't happening. So I went ahead and, and took the title. Uh, somebody else started one up here a couple weeks ago, and they didn't do the research. And when it was pointed out to them that another podcast exists and has existed for a couple of years now, off and on, uh, with the title Get Off My Lawn, their response was, eh, fuck you. So... Yeah, fuck them, uh, is is really all I have to, have to say about that. Uh, this is October 1st, 2017. It is my sister's birthday. She's very, very, very old. I mean, very old. Uh, just, you know, AARP is, is trying to track her down. She's that old, and yeah. So, happy birthday, sis. Hope you're, hope you're you know, having fun out there. Uh, on, on this day, also, in 1975, Muhammad Ali... Uh, took down Joe Frazier. Down goes Frazier. I'm not a big sports guy, but everybody of a certain generation has heard Howard Cosell's announcing of that game. Down goes Frazier. Down goes Frazier. Muhammad Ali, one of the greats, one of the legends. <laughs> and you want to talk about uh, a, a controversial dude. I mean, you know, he, he was very, very popular for you know millions and millions of Americans. But there were lots of people that, that didn't like him. Uh, you know, he was a Muslim American. He did, uh, you know, did, didn't didn't like the Vietnam War very much. He, uh, you know, didn't like uh, well, he didn't like a lot of things. Tossed his Olympic gold medal into into the into the sea. Yeah, uh, in in a time where patriotism is challenged here in the United States of America, Muhammad Ali is somebody to remember. Uh, you know, in, in terms of what a peaceful protest can be 
and what a Muslim American can be and, and what, a, what a human being can be. So, uh, you know, down goes Frazier. Let us never forget that. Also on this day, October 1st, 1962, Johnny Carson debuted as host of The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson. He, he, anybody that does this job, anybody that speaks in front of a microphone has to, has to, you know, give a little tip of the cap, has to nod their head, has to, (laughs) there's no chance, any of us, you know, anyone, you name another talk show host, one that has millions of people listening to them every day, doesn't matter, they're not Johnny Carson, they will never be Johnny Carson, there will never be another Johnny Carson, and just, you know, I know they they do uh, air episodes of of Carson's Tonight Show on Antenna TV. Their YouTube channel is is pretty good as well. Uh, Johnny Carson's estate releases DVDs and other things uh, fairly frequently now. Um, it sounds silly, but for a generation that hasn't heard of him, check him out. For those of you that you know grew up with him and hadn't heard him in a while, track him down again. It's 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 a time when you need something that will just make you laugh and smile, and there's pretty much any random episode of Johnny Carson's Tonight Show will guarantee you laughter and smiles, and so, yeah, just, just kind of remembering that. Um, 30 years ago today, the Whittier Narrows earthquake struck here in the Southern California area. Uh, I, I remember it fondly. I, I was going to junior high at the time. I don't remember junior high fondly. I, I don't really remember the earthquake fondly. But I do remember that my dog, Bert, my awesome, cool Shih Tzu Bert, on my sister's birthday, when the Whittier Narrows earthquake happened, hopped up onto my sister's bed and threw up all over her because the Bert is awesome. And that's really all you need to know about Bert is that it's like, it's my birthday. Blah. There's an earthquake. That's that's what I remember most about the Whittier Narrows earthquake. I mean, yeah, we lived kind of close by, and I went to school kind of close by. Like, the, the ceiling of our little lunchroom collapsed or whatever. But uh, that part of it doesn't resonate with me. What what I remember most about the Whittier Narrows earthquake is that my sister was thrown upon by my dog, Bert. So, I love you, Bert. I love you too, Terry, my sister. But, uh, you know, Bert, come on. Give it up for Bert. That was awesome. <laughs> 30 years ago this week, Princess Bride debuted. And just, I am not into the fantasy genre. It is it has never grasped my interest. Uh, Game of Thrones is an awesome show. Uh, it's undeniably awesome. It's just not for me. I'm not into the fantasy genre. Harry Potter is a beloved book series, a beloved movie series. Again, not for me. The fantasy genre is just not my my kettle of fish, not my cup of tea, not my can of wax, not my I, whatever. It's it's not my thing. Uh, the Princess Bride is a major exception to that rule. Uh, William Goldman crafted an amazing story, uh, amazing characters, brilliantly acted by some of the best actors of their day, unknown several of them at the time, uh, people that you would never have expected to play leading ladies, leading men, uh, you know, bad guys, good guys, etc. And yet, so much of that movie is quotable, so much of that movie is memorable. Um, and, and yeah, 30 years ago this week uh, is, is when that movie existed on, on the silver screen, and 
Well, it kind of, I guess, I guess today's focus, today's little interview, if you will, is, is a nod to that. Uh, this interview is not new. Um, this interview is, in fact, about 20 years old, and it features two different people uh, who died. Um, but, and here's the, here's the nod to the Princess Bride, it turns out they were only mostly dead. Uh, it's, uh, back in college, I, I was in a class uh, taught by uh, what Dennis Prager would call one of those leftist professors. And, and I mean, in every sense of the word, this guy was, was a hippie. I, I don't think I ever saw him wear shoes. Uh, he, you know, long hair, bearded, one of those conceptual artists that, you know, would take a hubcap and turn it into modern art, that type of thing. Uh, he passed away a couple years ago, a guy named Laurie Gold, a uh, uh, little shout out to Professor Gold. Uh, he and I didn't get along overly well. We didn't not get along, but it wasn't, it wasn't like, it wasn't a big relationship that I built like I have with some of my other uh, teachers over the years, um, which is not to say I didn't learn from him and not to say that I didn't do okay in his class. We just didn't see eye to eye on things, mostly because even though I do have some progressive tendencies and I do have some conservative tendencies, he was way, way to the left, way to, way, way to the left. <laughs> and the, the, the course material and, and the syllabus reflected that. And, you know, we, one of the classes I took from him was a class called Imaging the Self. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you you want to focus on exactly what that is. The final project is you had to come dressed as who you are, as some sort of visual representation of who you are. And yes, at one point, one of the students in his class, uh, it wasn't in, in the class that, that I was in, but it was in another year, uh, they showed up to class naked and they did not get a passing grade. So apparently who he was was not a, a, a naked man. <laughs> but uh, one of the assignments I had in, in one of Professor Gold's classes uh, involved near-death experiences, and I was a broadcasting student at the time, so I agreed to uh, do a little interview with a couple of people who had uh, been through these. Um, for those of you not familiar with the term, a near-death experience is pretty much exactly as, as the, the title implies, somebody who uh, their heart stopped, um, no, you know, no brainwave activity uh, for a series of, of minutes, whatever the case may be, and during that time, uh, as they are brought back to life, they, they are able to recount things that occurred during that time. Um, it's it. I suppose it's a controversial topic. Uh, I, you know, <laughs> there's an exception to the hearsay rule in, in, in the law, in the courtroom, where you're not asked, you know, these statements you're about to hear, you don't need to necessarily believe in the truth of their content. It's purely for the state of mind of, of the people you're about to hear. They believe uh, what they are saying, and their, their lives have been impacted uh, by what they believe existed and, and occurred uh, during the time when, again, their heart stopped, the brainwave activity ceased, and, and that's the story you're going to hear today. Uh, it's obviously a little different than, than a traditional interview that, that I would carry out. In fact, you don't hear my voice, uh, which will make many listeners very happy. Uh, the, the way I edited it back then, and I'm, I didn't really change too much of the editing now, is, is I put the two people, one's a female, one is a male, and I sort of had them back-to-back-to-back-to-back uh, back, back, to back as, as they told their stories. Um, and so that you can hear, that there, there is in most near-death experiences a common uh, theme of things. You've probably heard the stereotypes of the bright light or the, or the tunnel, things like that. 
but to hear somebody, you know, not just one somebody, but two somebodies tell this story about what had happened to them. One of them, like I said, was, was at the time she was a very young girl. Uh, she was very sick. She was at her home and experienced this. And then the, the, the gentleman you're going to hear interviewed, he was in Vietnam at the time. He was an infantryman in Vietnam, and, and this occurred. So I want you to listen to, to this interview because it is, as <laughs> this is everything we do here, it is a little bit different. Um, but I think it's interesting, and I think it, and, and I think it bears listening to. And I have this goofy little YouTube channel that, that I have maintained off and on for several years, uh, and this is the most watched thing on my YouTube channel. Uh, it has been watched by nearly 10,000 people on the couple of years it's been posted, and you know there's a couple of comments on it, people who've experienced it as well. So this is obviously a topic that resonates with certain people. And again, you, you may not be interested in it. I don't know if you are, but I would, I would check out this interview. It's, it's kind of interesting to me uh, in terms of, you know, none of us know. You know, whether whether you believe in God, whether you are an atheist, uh, you know we don't know what is outside of this existence, and we don't know how our brains function or what happens when when our brains and our hearts stop. Uh, these are questions that we cannot answer. Science cannot answer. Uh, the the ultimate answer by a scientist is since we have no way of you know proving what happens, the easy answer is that nothing happens. Uh, but these are two people who experienced. A, a period of, of non-existence in this reality and have come back to tell the tale. So I, f- I thought it was an interesting interview back then, especially considering the weird hippie class that I was in. Uh, <laughs> so hopefully you, you too will, will enjoy hearing from these mostly dead individuals. Uh, we do have our regular segments this week, uh, Back and Better Than Ever. You will hear from the One Straight Meets Gay podcasters. You will hear from the philosopher dorks, and you will hear from... Tim Brennan, our film critic extraordinaire. Uh, All of these things are to come, so I hope you enjoy the show today. I hope you enjoy October. I hope you are glad that September is past us. And please, if you have any say-so, I need just like eight or ten more hours to the work week. If you can figure out a way not to be at work and not to be asleep, I need about eight or ten more hours this week to just get crap done so if there's some way you can arrange that if you can alter the fabric of space and time just this week i think and then i'll be fine but just like eight or ten hours would be just fantastic so somebody get on that uh let's get a get a team of of experts working on that and yeah uh, in the meantime i'm going to take you into the wayback machine uh over 20 years into the wayback machine for this interview i recorded it uh back on the campus of of my alma mater pacific lutheran university i found a little corner and, and i'll share the link of the video um, the, the video, as, as I'd edited it together back then, I included some Pink Floyd music in the background <laughs> because, you know, that's what you do when you're in college and you're trying to be creative. So there, there was a Pink Floyd song called Coming Back to Life off of their album that was released at roughly the same time. Uh, so, so you hear that in, in the version that is on my YouTube channel. You won't hear it here because I don't want to pay uh, the royalties uh, to, to Pink Floyd for the song. <laughs> so you, you will simply hear the audio of of these two people telling their stories uh like i said to me it's interesting hopefully you will find it interesting after that we're just going to transition straight into our, our our three segments so yeah uh you won't have to hear just solo me anymore uh, hope you enjoy it hope you're having a good week hope you have a good week and and yeah here, here here's here's something interesting 
was in March of 1954. And at that time, of course, no one even talked about near-death experiences or out-of-body experiences. I had scarlet fever and I was at home. Um, my pediatrician came to the house and my family was caring for me. They had me in the living room because the, my bedroom was in the attic and it was too far away, so they had me on the couch in the living room. I was 19 years old. I'd been in Vietnam uh, about 10 months and I was an infantry soldier. I, uh, it was a day that um, uh, I had a feeling that something special or something was going to happen. I just had a sense that something might happen. I was very weak. I had been sick for several weeks already and I, my physical strength was really, really leaving me. I can recall lying there thinking I was going to die and trying to hang on. And I remember that as my physical strength ebbed, it was just as if the tide was going out and I was standing in the sand at the ocean and I could feel the tug on my feet of the sand as the wave goes out, but it's also the pull of the tide as the tide goes out, so it has a little extra pull to it. I felt myself slipping out of my body, slipping away, and I was trying to hang on because I knew I was dying. We were being shot at from uh, two sides, and uh, unknown to me, the company commander had called in an airstrike. Our jet planes from our own side flew over, dropped bombs, and they dropped them right on top of our position. Uh, I was blown up by one of the bombs. I got hit in the face, the side, with shrapnel. And I knew right there, at 19 years old, I was going to die. This was it. I was. 5,000 miles from home, and uh, I was going to die on this, on this battlefield. So I, I, at first there was just a, a, a moment of panic, and, and then uh, a moment of guilt for being there, and then this peacefulness came over me. So I just made myself comfortable, I took my pack off, and uh, I, the, the blood was just gushing out of my face. I knew that you know, it wouldn't be long before I bled to death. And I just laid down and I allowed myself to pass. So I was trying to hang on and I couldn't. I, I didn't have the strength. I was too weak. So I let myself go. And when I let myself go, I found myself in a black space. It was comforting. It was cozy. I felt no fear. As I became more aware of the black space, I realized that I was traveling. I, I wasn't, uh, you know, regular modes of travel. I wasn't walking or crawling or skipping or running or any of those things. I was not floating, I was flowing. My 
my body was flowing and then I was aware of a light. I saw the light ahead of me. As it turned out later, the light was actually above because I went up into the light. But when I saw it, I just saw this pinpoint of light ahead of me at the end of the tunnel. The next thing I know, there was no more war. I no more pain, no more, no more injury. And I was in the dark corridor. And I was moving in the dark corridor. And it was peaceful, it was calm, it was pleasant. And then I suddenly came into this bright white light. And uh, it was warm, it was wonderful. There was a sense of, of knowing, of, of knowledge that was uh, uh, all the answers to life, all the answers to the universe. Uh, and not so much academic knowledge, but, but just life knowledge, knowledge of um, why we exist. When I came into the light, I came out of the tunnel and came into the light. It was the brightest light I've ever seen. There's nothing here on earth that bright that is not painful to look at. And this was not painful at all. This was absolutely welcoming. It, the light was embracing. The light was total love. It was total embracing, encompassing, surrounding love. There was no sense of time or time passing. Uh, it was just a beautiful experience. There were other beings that were communicating with me, but I didn't actually see anyone. Um, I, I had more like I sensed their energy. And then there was a person that was obviously in charge, and he said, you have to go. You have to go back, and I didn't want to go. Um, but he informed me that, that it was my duty to go back, that it, that it was necessary for me to go back, and that I had a higher purpose. I was then aware that there were two other spiritual beings. Now, these beings were just orbs of light. Um, it's hard to explain. I know that they were spiritual beings. They may have been angels. Um, I've, in my mind, I've referred to them as angels because I don't know how to explain what they were, other than I know they were spiritual beings. They were um, elliptical, they were bright light, and they had love radiating out of them. This, this glowing light of love was radiating out. Like a good soldier, I turned and went back, and the next thing I knew, I was in the dark corridor, um, moving back downward. And uh, suddenly I was back on the battlefield. I could hear guns firing. Uh, I could hear people hollering. I was aware of, uh, of various colors, um, white light. Uh, I was aware, aware of uh, yellow light, um, gold lights. It was just completely warm and love-filled. I wish that I wish I had a vocabulary to describe what it was like because there just there are no words to describe how this felt. Uh, we don't have any words big enough, <laughs> great enough, intense enough. <laughs> There's nothing because it's just it, it was absolutely so wonderful. 
And the one thing that was instilled in me while I was in the bright light is that no matter what happened, I would not die. And uh, at least not up to, on that day. Um, I'm sure that someday I'll die. Um, immediately, I found myself going toward the roof of the house where my body was. I was 30 feet away, I was three feet away, and then I was just above the ceiling, above the front bookcase and above the front windows, and I was looking at my body, and I thought, oh my goodness, I'm dead. And I was 12 years old at the time, and I can still, I'm 52 now, and I can remember still the exact words that I said, and I can remember saying, oh my goodness, I'm dead. And the other day, I was telling somebody this story, and they asked me about out of body. Did I actually see myself? And I, I thought about it for a little while, and I thought, you know, there actually was a point where I was out of body, and that was after I was shot, and I was making it back to my unit. I realize now that I was actually escorting my body back. I was seeing myself because I was thinking about breathing. My throat was torn out and I had to think about getting air into my lungs and back out without filling my lungs with blood. Um, Diana raised the camera and took the picture. When the flash went off at that same instant, I am up above the ceiling thinking I need to go back and finish my life. The moment that that camera flashed, I was back in my body. And the sense of gravity. Um, <laughs> we aren't really aware of how heavy gravity is. I mean, the tug. Um, I, I thudded back into my body. And thinking back on it, I was actually guiding myself back, escorting myself back, because I could see these things. And if I wasn't having an out-of-body experience, I couldn't have seen them. Um, I did manage to get back and found um, the medics. Um, in fact, I, at the time that I got up and, and was wounded, I had no idea where they were, and yet I managed to walk right to them. Um, they called in a medevac helicopter, uh, what we called a dust-off, and they uh, loaded me on the helicopter and took me out of the field. The third day after the experience, I thought about the 23rd Psalm because it made me wonder if the tunnel was the valley of the shadow of death. And it took me from 12 years old till 16 years old before I actually told my mother the entire event from the beginning of my body feeling weak and weaker and weaker until I left my body and then when I came back to my body. Don't remember much until I woke up in intensive care. That experience has um, guided my life. Actually, I kind of lost track of things for many years. But about, um, I guess it was about 1982, um, it started to come back to me that there was a message there that I was, I was given a gift. I was given something uh, very special and that I had a very special purpose in life and that I had to pursue that purpose. The majority of people do have a spiritual experience. It may not necessarily be a quote-unquote religious experience, but it is a spiritual mm -hmm. experience where we know there is a supreme being in the universe. 
or, or some force yeah. which is guiding us in a loving mm -hmm. way and that we do have a purpose. I'm telling them about my experience, not to convert them or to convince them about anything, but merely to share that with them. Mm -hmm. Whether they accept it or not is up to them. And I have no, uh, I have no desire to um, change them in any way. If they change, it has to be because they wanted to and they could find something in that story that, that they could hold on to. Brace yourselves for some deep thoughts with the help of the Philosodorks. Excellent. My 299 doodad is working. Is that a euphemism? Oh. <laughs> Somebody's getting overcharged if it is. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you can't spell self-deprecating without Kevin. I think. <laughs> All right, we are here, joined once again by the Philosodorks. And they still don't have their own podcast uh, posted, but, you know, I'm not calling them slackers. Oh, <laughs> don't judge me. I was sick, and I need my arm. <laughs> I wasn't sick, but I was extremely stressed out. You were. I, I saw the post, and you traveled, and yeah, that's okay. We, we understand. I, st I still don't have a guest for this week's show, so, you know, that's all right, too. We oh, improvise. Okay. We do what we do. Debbie Gibson still standing you up. <laughs> and it's more, you know, it's bad enough like like when women were standing me up when I was trying to date them. Now it's men and women trying to stand me up when I'm trying to interview them. So it's, you know. <laughs> it's a pattern. It's a, it's a sad pattern. It's just sad. and It would drive me to drink if I wasn't already drinking. But, you know, there we go. <laughs> All right. This this week's topic, I'm trying I'm trying to be topical with this week's topic. Okay. And it may or may not be something that directly relates. If it doesn't, then tell me to go to hell and I'll come up with a better topic. But I believe right. that there, there is one that works here. There's, there's at least a conversation to be had about the topic being the philosophy of patriotism. Oh, God. Okay, yeah. We could definitely talk about that. <laughs> go well, to you hell! <laughs> <laughs> You know, Jesse, you were going to tell me to go to hell at some point in this conversation anyway, so, I mean, that's fine. I that's... think it's probably accurate. <laughs> Got it out of the way early. Good job, Dave. Good hustle. So talk to me about, about what is the philosophical arguments for or against being being t having national pride, for lack of a better sense, a better definition. Uh, uh, well, I'll start with the arguments against, just because they tend to be easier to make, frankly. Uh, the general sort of skeptical attitude would be, well, why? Like, what What about a country mandates my allegiance to it? Uh, and the, the mere, it, it seems like the, the arguments uh, that one hears, at least, in favor of patriotism take one of the following forms. It, it, you, should, you, you should love your country, which basically just means, well, you live here, therefore you should love it and support the government that governs it, which kind of reminds me of Jerry Seinfeld's whole bit about sports, where you're basically just rooting for whoever wears the shirt, so you're rooting for laundry, 
Uh, which my, my very anti-sports wife is very, very... I never heard that one, and I love it. Oh, my God. I can't believe you didn't already know that one. Yeah. No. Yeah, so my world has changed forever. So, so, the, oh God. So, yeah, so the rooting for laundry argument uh, is, is one argument for patriotism. It seems unsuccessful. Uh, we, you might, since it's, you're, you're, since it's not really laundry but where you live you're basically saying root for the real estate root for dirt right right hey, dirt. Uh, our dirt is better than your dirt hooray Fuck your dirt. go to hell dirt uh alternatively and this is another argument that's especially advanced uh in the american context well there is there are certain things about our country that are objectively great and you should love it for that reason and those things tend to be life liberty pursuit of happiness apple pie baseball and I don't know, peanut butter. Uh, if you're that, that grumbling in the background is, is Zoe, who's probably you know opposed to all of those things. I bet Zoe likes peanut butter. So yeah, that, I mean the, the basic problem, basic philosophical problem that patriotism sort of faces is that you know you're essentially telling people that there are certain sentiments or certain actions that are required of them morally. And then you're not really giving them much of a reason uh, to harbor those sentiments or engage in those actions other than, well, because you live in this certain place or have this certain government and a virtuous person would love his or her country and or take certain actions on behalf of his or her country simply because it's their country. I've never really found that to be compelling. Uh, Well, I think the other problem with that is the fact that there are certain people touting patriotism who sort of don't understand, maybe, that you can love something and still be critical of it. Exactly. And they also don't understand that the things that they consider patriotic are not necessarily what other people think are patriotic, and the things that they might not agree with things that other people think are patriotic. So, for instance, NFL players taking the knee during the national anthem. That's a hypothetical, just a purely hypothetical situation. Right, not that they've ever done that. No, no, not that it would ever come up in in social media and tweet storms by... Real-world example of someone making a gesture I consider to be patriotic What's more patriotic than wanting to hold your country to a higher standard? What's more patriotic than saying, shit, guys, we're better than this? Like, you know, that's, I don't know, that's me. That's, and that's exactly, I mean, once you get past the, you know, or the question, should I love my country? You know, that, that's the next question. What does it mean to love your country? What, I mean, think about loving another person. I don't think there's any real difference right. you know if you love a person and you see them doing things that are wrong and are especially damaging to themselves if you love them you speak up right say something do you want to bone america i'd really rather just be friends with america <laughs> uh, and, not, and, and not friends with benefits just, but may, you know. maybe if maybe if you see america in a bar one day you know looking a little loose maybe she's had a few too many you might try to take I, advantage I, of america just I'm slip sure. her a little sister to me so that would just be weird so, yeah. uh, <laughs> so, so so here's my my sort of take on it not so much a philosophical take on it but at least my, my own take on the concept of patriotism and that is if you're going to accept uh 
or, or you know take pride in what a nation does then you also have to take shame in what that same nation does you know that you you have to take the good with the bad you have to take yes we you know we freed the slaves and and yes we've given women the right to vote but we also are the only civilized nation that right. dropped two nuclear bombs and we're also the only nation you know that that has done you know that that condones torture recently openly uh and we have a death penalty and these are things that if you're going to take pride in what a nation does that is good then you also have to accept the shame of what a nation does that is not good and i don't see that being presented equally in terms of patriotism and i couldn't agree more with that uh and, and again it comes down it comes back to the idea of what does it mean to love someone or something and you know just blindly saying it's great no matter what is not Patriotic, and not, and, and not only that, it's not even rational. I mean, the founders of the country were very keen to have a country that was governed by reason, uh, and that was that that was sort of the animating principle behind the Declaration of Independence, behind the Constitution, the Federalist Papers, all of that. That want to govern, want a government of laws and not men, uh, and because laws are consistent, laws are rational, men are emotional assholes, yeah. uh, and. You know, and what do we have now? We have like the most emotional asshole that you could possibly think of, the platonic ideal of an emotional asshole <laughs> running the country. You know, well, I mean, scare quotes around running. Well, <laughs> like, what is he doing? Nominally occupying the office he's, of the person who, if he gave a shit, would run the country. He's I mean, golfing he's, the country, <laughs> is what he's doing. It's a, right. Yeah. He's okay. Yeah. yeah, but okay. So, so that's basically. I don't know that that's what I was expecting, but that is certainly, you know, that, that, that's, I guess I struggle with the concept of pride in something that I had nothing to do with. That is, to me, the biggest struggle I have with the concept of patriotism, is I didn't found the country, I didn't fight and win World War II, you know, I didn't do any of these things, so why should I be, you know, basically accepting whatever concept of pride comes with being patriotic. You know, I didn't do those things. You know, the President of the United States didn't do those things. Both, you know, the, the most recent three presidents had nothing to do with any of those things. So, I, you know, I don't know why that concept of pride gets related to patriotism to such extremes that it, that it does. Well, it's, it ultimately comes down to tribalism, what it, what's ultimately going on there, right? And that's what people like Richard Spencer is in your white nationalists slash neo-Nazis are about is the, this identitarian politics that says, you know, we are, you know, white people, Western civilization, whatever, and we should be proud of that just because of that. Right. You know, and, 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 no, hard yeah. pass. Yeah. Yeah, hard hard pass. pass. I'm good, thanks, no. Yeah. no. We suck big yeah. time. Yeah, we're, we're not exactly special right now. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's our tagline for this week's episode, white people suck. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right, well, assuming a podcast ever does get independently produced by the Philosodorks, where can they find such a thing? Well, there are episodes currently up. I mean, you probably have all listened to them already, but um, you can find us at philosodorks.com and Facebook at Dorkscast. In iTunes. In iTunes. And Google Play Store. In Google Play Store. And, and Google Podcasts. Yeah, we're on Podcasts. Podcasts. Basically anywhere fine podcasts can be procured. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah,
that let's let's keep our our listeners educated as much as we can. So I I thank you, Jesse. I thank you, Rich, and I thank you for only telling me to go to hell once, which is you know pretty pretty good. Yeah. It beat. No, thank you. I, I I don't want to lower the average. You know we got to. Uh, <laughs> All right, and and Zoe, so long to you too. And yeah, that's. Uh, Bye guys. Woof. All right, cool. Well, thank. All right, take it easy. Thank you, guys. Fasten your seatbelts. It's time for a few minutes with the guys from the Win Straight Meets Gay podcast. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's not waste any of this quote-unquote comedy gold here. So. That's right. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you can always record us, because we are, just do what Richard does, and record us when we don't know. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, you, you've been recording since the minute we all connected. I don't know what you guys look like anymore. Well, it's because you had, like, family in town for four months, then you went back home for another six months. I'm still, I'm still fat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, like, and, and, you know, like, we still, we still record podcasts, and stuff, so it's all good. Yeah, so I'm not missing much of it, okay. All right, well, never mind, I guess I'm not going to see you guys then. All right, so so we are we are once again joined by the trio from the Straight Meets Gay podcast. We have Trey, we have Michael, we have Richard, or is that the wrong order? I don't. We can we can change. No, it that's the that's the perfect order. Actually, that's the. <laughs> I've never heard it like that. I've never heard it like that. That is perfect. Oh my god! Dude, wait a minute. It's What's happening here? You know what? He he goes away for six months, and then all of a sudden he comes and he's like, "I'm the king! Of, I'm the king of the fucking world, bro!" <laughs> well, let's, y'all are really about to have people believing that I've been going for six months. <laughs> well, let's let's start <laughs> off. I mean, like every time we get a record, we're like, "Oh, that's right, Trey's family in town. Oh, that's Freddie's out of town. Yeah. Oh, that's right." Yeah, that's right, true. Right. See, here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. Next Saturday. Okay, cool. But listen, this is like your story is like Titanic, bro. You're like a young Jack Dawson. And yes. now you get on the Titanic, you taste it for like six months, and then all of a sudden you're like, I'm the king of the world, bro. That's yeah, here I am. And here <laughs> I am. Remember how Titanic ended, so... I mean, I'm just yeah. throwing that out there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, yeah that's true. Uh, we're just huh? bring down the mood, Michael. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, it ended with... No, it ended with that beautiful song by Celine Dion. You guys totally misunderstood what I was saying. Yeah, but literally... Hey, hey, what, don't let us talk about copyright law again. You can't sing a Celine Dion song. Oh my god, dude, that was beautiful, dude. Whoever started singing right now, seriously, just I. I it just I cost me twelve hundred dollars. I thought somebody was playing the song. That was All right, well, so before I, we I, get I into the topic of the day, why don't you guys take take a minute and and catch people up on where you are, where you're at, what you're doing, what you're working on, what's hip and happening in your world? Yeah. Oh, oh my god. Go ahead, Michael. No, Trey goes first and sees the baby, and he never goes first. <clears throat> Well, I think we already established that. He's a nun. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a nun. Yeah, as in, he, as in he ain't getting any? I'm just kidding. Oh, oh yeah. shit. Yeah. Trey's a gentleman. He wouldn't tell you even if he was, dude. Oh, uh, I never kiss and tell. <laughs> is that because you never kiss? Oh. Oh, oh. Don't ruin the magic. Dude, that's <laughs> hardcore, bro. That's what she said. Oh, dang. All right. Well, anyways, Michael, why don't you tell everybody what you're doing? You know you're going to take the longest. Uh, because that's the most going on. I'm the most going on. Yeah. No, well, the cool thing is, is I launched my own podcast. So when while Trey was gone, I was like, God, I keep on, I want to keep podcasting. So I started my own called Mimosas with Michael. And, um, yeah. I mean, that's probably the biggest thing I'm still writing. 
Tell them about, so WSMG as a whole, we have a very important um, podcast coming out on October 13th. My birthday. Oh, well, there you go. It's actually, it's for your birthday. There you go. <laughs> yep, and it's on a Friday the 13th, which is always yeah, good. And Mike, yeah, Michael, you want to you wanna tell them what, it's, what it is? Yeah, we're doing, because there's a Friday the 13th in October when Straight Meets Gay is doing a Friday the 13th reunion right. episode. That's and true. Have, um, yeah, and Kevin, we have Victor Miller, who you've interviewed on your show. Oh yeah, and I appreciate you, uh, you, you know, handing him off to me for a while there. Oh, you, I, I, yeah, I pretty much just pass him off to people. <laughs> 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 you're, like inter, you're like an entertainment kid. <laughs> I mean, basically, yeah, I, we had we had Victor, who was great, uh, who wrote the movie Friday Thirteenth, and then we had Terry Mappadini, who was the composer, and then we did Adrian King, she was the lead actress. And it was so great because um, Trey, Trey was out of town, so we recorded him ahead of time. <laughs> That's why it was great. <laughs> wow. You guys, but they, y'all, did y'all just call me to like get on me, man? Is this what this is all about? Y'all just to rip me apart a little bit more? It's the most complicated right? intervention ever. Yeah, dude. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Hey, Trey, listen, dude. We just miss you, okay? It's like... It's like when you like somebody, like it's like the, the what is it, the, the playground theory, like when you like, like whenever the little boy liked the little girl, he treated her like shit. Yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. Like, We just like, yeah, that's what we're doing. We just yes. like, we just can't deal with how much we like you in this game. Okay, my, my bad, okay. I yeah. see where, okay, I see it. Well, we, we just, we miss, we miss your musk. <laughs> we miss my musk. <laughs> yeah, we miss your musk. Oh, my musk. Did you think <laughs> we said muff? I thought you said mom. Oh, oh we missed your mom too. Yeah, dude, she's great. Your mom is great. Yeah, she's We're sorry, great. Kevin. Dude, Kevin, I'm sorry, man. We're taking up all your time. No, this is this is. Here, 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 here we go. I'll tell you what I'm up to right now. Dude, let, oh, here let we go. Kevin talk, bro. I feel like you let him. <laughs> I thought we were saying where we're at. Have, have you not heard the previous segments? I basically say hello and then cut you off after five minutes, and we're already seven <laughs> minutes in. That's so that's what we did with the Friday the Thirteenth thing. We didn't even talk. They just talked about that. But no, no, Trey, tell, tell everyone what you're doing, dude. You got, you got big, dude, tell Yeah, that's right. Right now I've been doing some stand-up, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? I've been actively chatting with ladies. Oh, uh, wow, that's a first. What? Yep, yep. Um, Successfully, or, or... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I talked to one more than others. So, wow, so, so you, does that mean you have a girlfriend now? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say girlfriend, but... Oh shit! Like a little, like a skinny. You know what I mean? Like what they call skinny. You know what I mean? A little slimmy. I don't know. Look, here, here we go. I can't, I can't. Let's just be careful what we say out here. You know what I'm saying? Somebody's listening. Oh, okay. I get it. No. Well, dude, I'm just saying. Like she's like that's cool, man. Like that's really cool if you have like, a girl. You know, like a very special yeah, yeah. guest. See, there we go, right there. I promise yeah. no one's listening to you, Trey. I mean, what? we love you. Oh. I've I've looked at the uh, analytics to my podcast. She's not listening. It's uh, oh, dude. See, well, there you go. That that person. So we can say whatever we want now. So go ahead. I think oh, I think we all I think we all know that the one person that's listening in North Carolina is your mother. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And shout out to my mom right now. And shout Hi, mom. out to Matt Wee, my cousin too. Also, what up? I'm over at his house right now. Oh, so. what's up, dude? What's up, Matt? Yeah. What's up, homie? Yeah, he's, now he's, we're he's right here. He's right here. The homie's right here. Now we're rappers all of a sudden. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Here we go. Here's his feature. Yep. Shout out to Los Angeles, man. Oh, dude. Shout out to you, man. Shout out to you, bro. Shout out oh, to you. Now we gotta pay him. Shit. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, no, he's not copywritten. We're good. Okay. <laughs> he sounds like, he sounds like, a, he sounds like, uh, right, anyway. You gotta send him a voice release. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll give him a sign. I'll give him a sign the papers, don't worry. We'll just, yeah, we'll just dude. Them. It's okay. We'll just keep them. Cool. All right, so Richard, what have you been doing? Yeah, Richard. Dude, I've, I've been working on, like, some post-sound stuff, like getting uh, some, some posts in and uh, working on podcasts. And um, just doing including your own, right? Yeah, including my own, which um, I have a couple. I have maybe a new one coming out, possibly. And uh, and then I've worked. I'm working on Michael's podcast, the uh, Mimosas with Michael. No, Michael. And yeah, Mimosas with Michael. Yeah. It's not Michael with Mimosas. We're going to work on that one next. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was funny because um, I inter- I interviewed D Wallace from um, oh, ET Kuja. What? I'm just saying, so, like, I, I, could, I kept stuttering, I kept calling it mimosas with, I mean, Michael with mimosas, because I don't know what I'm doing, I guess. He's no, scared. He's, he's worried. He's worried and scared. Hey, I, I had our I had our announcer when I had you know when I had him announce all of the different segments for the show. I I gave him the script and it said in the strip in, in the script when game eats straight it said it like five times. He got it. He read it exactly as I gave it and I screwed it up every single time. <laughs> Hey, dude, that's, that's, that's just, see, but see, it's one of those things where, where, like, no matter how you say it, it's okay, dude, we'll be fine. Although it is WSMG Podcast, so you know what, man, I'm sorry, dude. Yeah. I messed up. I screwed up. That's it. What's up, Brian? So what do you want to talk about today? I think we just finished segment one. <laughs> oh, dude, I think we finished segment, like, one through four. Yeah, we're going to pretty much still... Yeah, that's, I think we're good till February. That's, yeah, that's okay. I think we're light on guests this week anyway, so that was good. So so the question of the day, this was the one I wanted to ask. Take as long as you need to. Be short, please. Uh, is, is which do you think is the best social media network out there right now? Probably Don't say Friendster. Oh, dude. Okay, well, Michael's the resident fucking social networker, so I thought he'd answer it first. Well, it's because no one else does it. Well, I do it's just that you have you have like you have the ability to do it well, and you know Trey, you know Trey is pretty damn good at it too. I don't know what I'm talking about because Trey made this video like like uh, he made this video a couple weeks ago, and as soon as I saw it in his Instagram stories, it made me laugh so damn hard. I laughed for at least five minutes straight, and that and then and then I proceeded to piss myself. Because it was so funny, and and everyone at follow at the Trey Mountain and check it out, or at no at you know, maybe just follow at WSNG Podcast on yeah, right, on there, and you can see it there. It's so yeah. good. Go. And then the first thing that Rich, the first thing that Richard did was he called me and he goes, "Why can't Trey be this funny on our podcast?" Wow. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't uh, know. That kind of sounds like a Michael joke, to be honest. Oh dang, homie, this is getting rough, bro. See what happens when we don't. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. Dang, dude, this is nasty, bro. This is getting real dirty. Yeah. That's crazy. Kevin, I'm sorry you had to hear this, dude. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm watching a friendship it's, 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 dissolve it's, 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 it's right okay. here. It's okay for all the fans. You know what, guys? Just a true Michael right here coming up. Y'all think he's all oh, so there. Oh, man. Let's try again. <laughs> you, there you were just right. talking the other day how you always call me out. That's so mean. <laughs> Oh, dang, dude. This is getting dirty. I'm going to be the good friend that does that, Michael. Isn't that what you want? Trey, I love oh, you so much. You don't even know. Hey, 
this is this this is historic, dude. I'm, I'm sorry. Can I get the question again? I'm just curious. Though. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> He's already a diva. You see that, dude? That's Beyonce. I didn't hear it all the way. What's the best What's social your... media platform? Mm. Wait, did I say it wrong or? No, you got it right. The best platform? Yeah. So, social media platform, right? Okay, best social media platform. Ah, well, Grinder. Oh, okay. Grinder kind of sucks now. It has too many ads. Oh. It's like you try to go click on a cute guy and some ad pops up and you're like, I'm done. Dang, homie, that's nuts. Why do we trick? I'm gonna have to go with uh, probably Snapchat, y'all. Honestly. Oh. Just hear me out. Listen, they're having shows come out and stuff. And like different different little episodes that they got going on. They got all the good filters going on. Um, oh, all right. That's like how I made that video, Richard. You were talking about through Snapchat and then posted it on Instagram. Was it like the chipmunk? It was it the chipmunk one or whatever? I don't even know. There's a lot. Dude, of it, it cracked but, me up so much. It was like, hey, hey, Chris, it's done, and you know it to be true. <laughs> <laughs> just because summer's over doesn't mean you can't stop posting baby zoo pictures. You guys have to go see it. It's the fucking funniest thing ever. <laughs> I think the impersonation of Trey was the funniest thing ever. Yeah, that was actually really good. <laughs> really good, actually. Oh, dude, I'm so glad it did it justice. I watch it, like, every day. Yeah, that was amazing. All right, I, I, as we wrap this up, I think we're wrapping this one up. Somebody tell me, please, for the love of God, how, how can they find your podcast to catch more of this? Oh, uh, WSMGpodcast.com. Perfect. Simple enough. All right, Trey, Michael, Richard, Richard, Michael, Trey, Michael, Trey, Richard, whatever order you prefer. We'll see you in next week for more yes, of sir. whatever the hell this was. Yes, you will, dude. Peace. Peace out, H.L. It's time for our own version of Siskel and Ebert. Only, you know, living. Here's film critic Tim Brennan. We're back better than ever. Tim is joining us from lovely, as we just discussed, off Mike Boulder, Colorado. How's how's things in Boulder today, Tim? So far, so good. We got uh, partly cloudy skies and high 60-degree temperatures, and it's beautiful, and we're just getting into October, so there's an equal chance of it getting up to 80 or 90 degrees might have a blizzard could have a rate of (laughs) you have an untapped uh talent as a weatherman if things don't work out as a film critic yeah colorado is um colorado is drunk a lot when it comes to the weather and it's alarming (laughs) but uh things are not boring well cool well we are here not just to talk the weather but we are here to talk a movie what movie are we discussing this fine afternoon so we are going to be talking about Battle of the Sexes, Ooh. and it's the new uh, dramedy starring um, Steve Carell and Emma Stone. And co-starring one of my favorite actresses of all time, Natalie Morales. But that's, uh... There you go. Yep. So tell us, what's go- what do we need to know about this film? It is, it is based on a true story. Based on a true story um, set in 1973. So 70s music and TV and... Guys in tuxedos with ruffles and the whole thing. <laughs> and it is about uh, a competition between uh, Billie Jean King, a famous 29-year-old uh, female tennis player of the time, and Bobby Riggs, a 
comfortably over the hill 55 year old male tennis player of the times mm-hmm. and long story short um billy jean king making a name for herself um the head of the tennis association um played very smarmily by bill pullman um sets up a tournament the male winner of the tournament uh, gets a prize of 12 grand the female winner of um, the female tournament gets a prize of $1,500. Um, Billie Jean King points out that this is outrageously sexist and unfair. Bill Pullman doesn't care about that. So Billie Jean King walks and takes pretty much every notable female tennis player with her to set up her own female-only tour. So this is great. Yeah, Everybody's happy. Now, Bobby Riggs, on the other hand, um, you know, he's looking down the barrel of 60. He's a gambling addict. He is trying to find something worthwhile to do with himself. And he decides he is going to publicly um, challenge Billie Jean King. So he says uh, through the media that as a man, he has the skills to beat any woman in tennis. At all. And and he's superior to any woman in tennis just because he's a man. And so the stage is set for a, uh, you know, a titanic tussle right. between a, you know, loudmouth jerk of a man who doesn't really take the whole thing seriously and a hardworking, possibly overprepared woman who has to deal with um, sexism, has to deal with not being taken seriously. So you can kind of see why it's a little bit relevant for these times. Yeah, and and sadly, it shouldn't be relevant for these times, and yet it is. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But, you know, that's... There's there's a famous quote where I think it was Churchill who said, uh, Americans can be counted on to do the right thing, but only after they've exhausted every other option. (laughs) Yes. Seems to sum it up. So we, we have some uh, interesting names listed acting it. Who, is, who are some of the behind-the-scenes people that put this movie together? So the film was uh, directed by Valerie Ferris and Jonathan Dayton, and they are best known for directing Little Miss Sunshine. Okay. And that was the movie that also kind of gave uh, Steve Carell yeah. some credibility as a dramatic actor. Yeah, I enjoyed that film. Um, I, I was not a fan of it. No? Um, but I liked Steve Carell, and with Ferris and Dayton, they're really good at juggling an ensemble of actors so that folks don't get lost in the shuffle. Um, and they're also really good at using the set and music and costuming to create an evocative place. So... In Battle of the Sexes, they really do a terrific job of making it feel like you're genuinely in 1973. You know, it doesn't feel ham-handed, but it does kind of, it, it feels real. It feels kind of grimy and down market, as I think the 70s were for the most part. <laughs> um, so it, it's a good-looking film. Um, they get the small details really right in terms of like the not only the the huge sexism that women had to and still do have to deal with, 
but also just the the small moments of sexism you know just a random guy calling a woman sweetheart you know like an unwanted touch all kinds of things like that and you know it's it's a reminder of like in some ways we're making progress in this country but we're doing it in such a slow way and like the concept of toxic masculinity or microaggressions that, that those are laughable concepts for yeah. 1973 unfortunately <laughs> and that, that was just me laughing at the concepts there but yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> it's, it's um but you know it's it's a it's like a solidly pretty good film um Emma Stone is always good. Steve Carell is, is interesting. Um, there's some very brief uh, performances by Sarah Silverman, um, who's solid. Uh, there's a good uh, there's a good performance from Alan Cumming, where he shows up very briefly uh, as a as a stylist, and he's good. But it really feels um, it really feels like it pulls its punches. It feels sort of like a made-for-TV kind of movie, and mm-hmm. it needs to have more oomph to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's a little soft around the edges, for lack of a better phrase. Exactly. And, you know, my, my other big complaint I had, and let me preface this by saying that I, um, I don't know anything about tennis, but the scenes where they're playing tennis are all um, shot in long shots, and doing that sucks away a lot of the energy and the momentum. So I'm watching tennis and I'm watching the pop, pop, pop of the uh, ball going back and forth. Mm-hmm. But I don't really feel a whole lot of urgency while I'm watching it of like, oh my God, we got to do this. Got to go get him, kick his ass, Billy Jean. I don't, I'm not feeling any of that as I'm watching it. And I feel like if it had been shot a little bit more close up, um, like say, say what you will about Oliver Stone. And there's a lot we could say about it. Yes, him. there is. But he shot a movie a few years ago called Any Given Sunday about uh, pro football. A few and years ago. You're dating yourself, shoots. dude. It was almost 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know time. Though. I don't <laughs> concern myself with things like that. <laughs> but, but yeah, I saw the movie. His, but his, his football film, um, the scenes of football are, are like very immediate. You feel like you're there. It feels very energetic. And Battle of the Sexes could have used a little bit of that adrenaline. Not mm-hmm. not a lot, just a little bit more. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I suspect, I, I heard an interview with somebody behind the film. I forget if it was the writer or the director, but somebody had said that really they wanted, even though it was a film about a tennis tournament for, you know, a, a competition, the film was about, you know, the Battle of the Sexes, and they didn't want to emphasize the sports aspect of it. They didn't want it to be, you know, a sports film. They wanted it to be a, you know, a film that had a sport in it for, you know, I'm not explaining it as well as whoever it was, but that that was, no, I no, think, no, there. No, 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 I... I, I get what you're saying, and you're you're absolutely right that the sports angle is the the secondary angle. Yeah. And I mean it, it should be. But by the same token, if you're gonna have the um if you're gonna have the most exciting kind of moment of triumph come because of a uh, a tennis match in your movie, you're if you're kind of obliged to make it exciting oh, yeah. somehow. Oh, I'm not defending it in any way, shape or form. I say, you know, we go kick the director's asses right now, let's do it. There. All right, let's do it. It's on. <laughs> so, 
It's okay. I don't know that it warrants being seen on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's an entirely necessary film. It's pleasant. The people that I saw it with enjoyed it. Um, so I'll, I'll say it's a, uh, it's, it's solidly okay. <laughs> I don't think they're going to put that on the DVD cover. <laughs> oh, no, they won't. No, they won't. It's a, our film is solidly okay, Tim Brennan. But wouldn't it Boulder. be beautiful if they did? That would be awesome. That would be... Yeah. <laughs> it beats some of the made-up ones, you know, that they, they, they do in the film world sometimes, or they have... Or who, oh, yeah, exactly. Who is the dude with the big mustache on the Today Show that loved everything? Oh, what was his? Gene Shallot. Oh, Gene Shallot. Yeah. yeah. You know, he he could watch somebody taking a dump and write 300 words praising the experience, you know, and talking about how great it was. And it just, he always drove me up the wall. I'm like, really, really? Okay, no, that's not. <laughs> that's... Yeah, it'd be like, you know, it's it's a moment of towering humanity. It's like, Gene, it's a guy pooping. Yep. He's towering humanity. <laughs> And it wasn't like he was striving for, you know, the hidden psychological subtext of things. He was like, and, you know, the women were hot and the explosions were big. And it's like, really? Really? That's that's all you got, Gene? Okay. Yeah, you, you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and say, you know what I did with my life? I said the women were hot and explosions were big. Yep, where's my that's check? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's see, you're, you're here, here's, here's my praise to you, Tim. You're a better film critic than that. <laughs> well, and the Today Show hasn't called me yet. I know, you know, they'll put Megan Maybe Kelly on, but but uh, it's, I'm waiting for Tim Brennan's hour of the Today Show. We got to make that happen. Oh, it'll be. If anything, it'd be Tim Brennan's maybe thirty-seven and a half seconds. <laughs> That'll be thirty-six and a half seconds more than I would get. I guarantee it. But yeah, <laughs> that's. <laughs> So for people who want to, you know, re- read your full review and find out more about this, that is about boulder.com and and you are there. And what else can they learn on that website? I'm guessing things about, you know, Denver. Is that what that website is? Exactly. Yeah. The um, about boulder.com uh, <laughs> uh, lets folks know what's going on um, in and around Boulder, Colorado. Um, events going on at CU, uh, local breweries, uh, marijuana, uh, the Rockies. Basically everything Colorado. There you go. So check out that website. Uh, click on Tim's page so he gets lots of hits and you know makes lots of money and eventually gets his Today Show gig that he's been dreaming of for his entire life. Uh, thank you, Tim. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> All right, and that is going to do it for this week's Get Off My Lawn podcast. I want to thank everybody, as usual, who is a part of this show. I want to thank everybody, as usual, who listens to this show. Uh, hopefully you promote this show, talk about it with friends, family, loved ones. Um, I don't know, maybe you do, maybe you don't. don't I, either way, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for, for being there. Thank you for being a friend. Uh, traveling down the road and back again, your, your, heart, your heart is true. You're a pal. You're a confidant. You know what? If you threw a party, never mind. Forget it. Uh, <laughs> get off my lawn. This has been the Get Off My Lawn podcast brought to you by Kevin's Bookmobile. Check out www.lulu.com slash marusic for a selection of books authored by your genial host. Buy a paperback, download an ebook, and help support the podcast. That's www.lulu.com slash M-A-R-O-U-S-E-K. And by our tip jar. Like what you've been hearing on the show so far? Want to hear more? 
Then help us out by going to getoffmylawnpod.blogspot.com, clicking on the tip jar, and donating to the cause of creativity. No amount too large, no amount too small. That's getoffmylawnpod.blogspot.com. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Get Off My Lawn Pod. Check out our SoundCloud at Get Off My Lawn Podcast or subscribe to us on iTunes for the latest episodes. Questions or comments or to suggest a guest, our email address is getoffmylawnpod at gmail.com. The theme was written and composed by Brian Weideman. Check out his music at www.worldbride.com. That's W-O-R-L-D-B-R-I.com. The logo was designed by Julie Contreras at Urban Bird Design. Go to urbanbirddesign.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend.